Check, check, check one, two. We are live from the Dispatches of the Scandamaniac podcast. I am your guest as host, as always, Ryland Johnson. Uh, the last few days I've been busy on the campaign trail, but uh, I wanted to kind of take a moment to record a podcast because I I like having these long-form conversations. Uh, Sam Gamble is on the podcast today. Sam, I've been... Want- well, we've talked a few times over the phone and exchanged some emails, but I'm uh, really excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me out here. Um, can you do us a favor and ring the ship's bell to sure, get us started? Yeah. Just give it a little smack there. Like a hard one? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, Sam, perhaps you can start by just giving the listeners your uh, your Yellowknife 101 bio. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah my name's Sam Gamble. i uh, uh one of the co-founders of Cloudworks. Um, I'm a long-time Yellowknifer. Moved up here when I was one, and then uh, about four years ago, uh, me and my son and my wife uh, relocated to Ottawa, but I'm probably up here eight, ten times a year. Yeah. Um, yeah, once I think I spent like 100 days or something, 80 days in Yellowknife uh, in the year. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's about it, I guess. Yeah, and I had uh, Rob Orbiton, your uh, co-founder of Cloudworks, on, and we kind of we chatted Cloudworks a lot, um, but perhaps you can kind of just give the listeners a summary of what Cloudworks started out as, what it is now, and what it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, Rob and I and uh, a third business partner, Paige Saunders, started Cloudworks, I think. Oh, I didn't two... actually know Paige was involved. Yeah, no. yeah, he, yeah, there's three of us, and we started, I think, 2012, Um and, uh, and Rob and I are kind of primarily interested in real estate. And so uh, we kind of go through variations of what we tell people we do. Originally, it was a development company. Then we said, well, redevelopment. Because uh, the truth was, when we first started, uh, n- none of us had kind of construction experience. Yeah. Uh, and so it was really, I think, essentially what we do is we repurpose real estate. So we find real estate that's not kind of being used uh, kind of in the uh, appraisal terms, highest and best use. Yeah. And so we um, we kind of uh, you know take that property, kind of reposition it some way, kind of either through some renovations or a different type of leasing arrangements, uh, condoization, kind of sp- splitting title, or uh, any way that we think it can kind of be used better. That would be uh, basically what we do. <laughs> yeah, which is uh, in Yellowknife, a city full of extremely underutilized space and. In- many cases empty space is probably a very important service in a way i kind of was telling this to rob it's like if you guys weren't here there'd just be so many buildings that like no one's even trying to look at oh yeah yeah it's uh yeah we really do like yellknife uh for that reason um Mm. there's a lot of i mean high construction costs really kind of um keep a lot of new stuff from coming on the market so kind of our our thesis is that you know uh, why go buy something for you know 300 bucks a square foot or build something for 300 bucks a square foot where you can buy for 150 and and put some money into it and do something different. So yeah, exactly. So you, I mean, you kind of worked yourselves into finding a gap in the market because I any mid-sized developer up here runs into that problem of like, oh, you're, you're better off just buying a bunch of trailers and shipping them up than yeah, building. yeah, 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 kind of yeah, import your labor kind of indirectly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Sam, you also have written a series of articles for Edge. Um, well, you've written a lot, but I, mostly the Economic Reality series, which is ongoing. You got a few more? Yeah, uh, yeah. I t- uh, kind of accidentally took one month off here, or one uh, one episode off. But yeah, I started that. Geez, like four years ago, I guess. Shortly after I moved to Ottawa, um, uh, 
Paige kind of, uh, I told Paige this kind of theory I had, and then he started telling everybody about it and saying that I should write about it. So then I, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I approached, uh, approached Verge. I think the idea was originally just kind of one piece. Uh, then it turned into like a six piece, uh, monster thing. I kind um, of feel like it's the, <laughs> the definitive economic assessment of Yellowknife. Oh, like, that's nice. Every, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so perhaps we can start with that. Uh, can yeah. you tell me what a rentier state is? Yeah. And in the context of Yellowknife. Yeah. Well, I kind of, I came across the term, uh, while reading a book about uh kind of it was kind of boring uh, like global financial flows uh, yanis yeah. varifakis actually wrote it um he's kind of the the uh ex-greek finance minister um so it's kind of and he was describing kind of uh, this what happens when uh, suddenly you have a, a you know the bulk of your national income is actually no longer tied to the economic productivity of your employees yeah or sorry your employees your uh your population so petro states would be like the biggest example where it really doesn't matter how productive the average uh person in kuwait is kind of uh, because most of the money comes through selling oil which is just a matter of i mean especially in that area of the world you could jam a straw or a pipe into the ground and oil comes out and, yeah. and you sell it on a world market for high prices um, but there's kind of other examples of it. So kind of tax havens would be one where um, where you get that kind of you suddenly get all these kind of financial flows coming in um, uh, kind of strategic locations. So kind of where there's military bases uh, yeah. like Okinawa might be an example of that. Panama Canal. Panama is kind of an interesting one because it's both a. Uh, a tax haven and a, and a strategic location. So, and when you get that, you get kind of some strange things happening. Kind of politically, uh, bureaucracy becomes uh, quite powerful. Um, uh, usually, taxpayers, uh, because the population aren't necessarily taxpayers, um, the population starts having less say over what happens. Uh, and then economically, you kind of have this effect where you push out a lot of the other potential industries that, that could be working. So, you know, maybe uh, mm. maybe tourism would be a, a good industry in, say, uh, Saudi Arabia. But if you get a dividend from the government and uh, and if you did want to work, the really high paying jobs are in the oil and gas industry. Would you, you know, would you go? do like a, you know a hard job doing tourism yeah no probably not and uh and so that there's a kind of that effect as well so and it kind of, when i was reading this it's like oh my god this sounds a lot like <laughs> yellow knife uh, and we and because uh, kind of coincidentally uh, uh my wife and i had gone to abu dhabi and uh and it was like bizarrely like yellow knife um and uh uh even to the fact like we went out on this um this kind of tour and uh, they kind of showed us a video and it was like it was about kind of uh, the creation of Abu Dhabi and the United Arab Emirates. But it, it, it was done in such a way that it was almost like it was the NWT. Like I could imagine a, a, a northern video looking the same. Um, uh, you know, it's just, instead of instead of falcons, it would be something else, but <laughs> something northern. Uh, and so, just kind well, of actually, like they have a bunch of our falcons. They come here, and uh, oh, do our they? Okay. falcons are like very sought after by yeah. Yeah, it's, so, yeah, royalty. It is, uh, yeah, it is strange place down there. Uh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm going off on no, no, I like tangent here, but uh, <laughs> they're kind of. Uh, so uh, kind of they have this whole kind of ranking system, like kind of uh, 
of your um, your citizenship. So number one yes. is if you're if you're Emirati. Number two is if you're a Falcon, uh, and then number three would be the foreigners. And then they got kind of a whole split of the foreigners. <laughs> they have their P one, P two. Yeah, of. well, yeah, of, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, so P twos are actually the Falcons there. So if you fly with a Falcon, you have to buy them a a plane seat. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but they're also okay with construction workers living in sea cans in the deserts. So it's, it's a bizarre place. So, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you've explained this in depth in your articles, but it just it makes so much sense in Yellowknife on a couple levels. And I think it's important to note it's that this kind of happens, and it doesn't necessarily um, mean anything nefarious is going on. It's just economic drivers are created such that you would just, like you said, you would never go start a tourism business because, well, in this case, you'd go work for the government. You know? Right, or yeah. In that yeah. case, you'd go work for oil and gas. It's not like there's a... Yeah, yeah. So yeah, usually when I talk to people about this, uh, I did a presentation on housing. Um, I like. I think uh, first off, I come off sounding like kind of like some kind of libertarian madman um and it, yeah i'm not saying there's anything wrong with this i mean we if if uh sorry and the, the rentier part of, of our economy is these federal government flows into yeah. the into the territory and if, if we didn't have that the nwt would be you know it'd be like greece right you don't have financial flows but you have these expenditures and eventually you're going to have a debt crisis and if the federal government didn't do this it would be you know the northwest territories wouldn't be a nice place to live yeah. um so uh but I think, yeah, it's important to kind of go, okay, well, this is the economic reality of it. Um, and so let's let's make decisions uh, around the reality as opposed to some kind of, um, you know, narrative that uh, that is being is being used to kind of continue to get the money to come up. You know, to, so you, you can't believe your own fiction, I guess. And, and uh, so if we start at the right point, understanding where we are, we can start making like a lot more effective decisions. It'll make everybody better off. That's my, that's my hope, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, I, I think any NWT politician runs into this problem of like, okay, I have to get more money from the federal government. Um, the federal government wants to see a business plan. So we'll do some fake economics to be like, yes, this is going to happen. Build this project. It's going to make economic prosperity. Yeah. And, but it's like, I think everyone must know, like, actually, we're just at trying to create enough, enough of a justification to get more federal money that they can say, OK, but it's. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's I, like you yeah. I, you have to make a sales pitch and that's why we keep making them. Yeah. But. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I kind of say it's probably unpopular, but it's, you know, it's really a giant sovereignty exercise by the federal government. Um, with some potential upside with uh, kind of mineral exploration and, and oil and gas. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you potentially put in the right infrastructure, some of that can expand. So it's a sovereignty exercise that might pay back a little bit. Um, you know, and, and, and really, I am all for it. I mean, the social compact that Canadians have made is it, no matter where you live, you're going to get a certain level of health care and education. And, and that's part of what being Canadian is. And that's a, that's a good thing, I think. Uh, so, but uh, yeah. yeah, it does create it does create differences uh, it, or different. Our economy doesn't work how Ontario's does, exactly, or Alberta's does. Well, and I think the sovereignty exercise was so much clearer before kind of devolution and before we had a GNWT. It was just clear that the federal government was giving people to the north, and there was, you know, it. 
there was this kind of hostility there. And then we've created the GNWT, which creates this kind of middleman that mm -hmm. appears as though like, okay, we now have our sovereignty and we have an economy. It's like, no, that's just like the federal government funneling money through another body. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think the GNW has clouded that. Um, and then this is where, and it's funny, it's an Arctic sovereignty issue because you, right now the GNWT is controlling the vast majority of those federal dollars that come in. And then you have the indigenous governments being like, wait, why did like, why did that happen? When devolution, why did the GNWT grow and not us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, think, yeah, I don't yeah. even think it's a warranted Arctic sovereignty <laughs> exercise. We're giving the money to the wrong government. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could give the money to the, uh, the people that were previously uh, helping <laughs> with the sovereignty portion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, it works out if you're in Yellowknife, uh, where the bulk of the money stays. Yeah, you know, and if you're a bureaucrat, really, you know. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so can you perhaps talk about some of the the ways that this fake economy... Fake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the word fake. Uh, <laughs> uh, this economy largely driven by federal funding um, affects some of the weird ways that economics just don't work. I mean, economic models are a problem in the first place, you know, yeah. they're oversimplifications of human behavior, yeah. but then you throw in this whole other layer. Um, can you talk a bit about those? Yeah. So, I mean, um, I get, probably the number one perversion that everybody notices is kind of uh, wage rate inflation. So wherever you have the, you know, in a rentier economy, if it's coming into the oil and gas sector, that's where the uh, inflation is going to be in oil and gas. Um, in the oil and gas sector. Uh, in our case, it's in the bureaucracy because money goes into mostly the GNWT uh, and then goes out to different levels of government or the GNWT spends it. Yeah. And I think anybody that's kind of had an idea for uh, a small business to start, um, you know, they kind of run, run some basic numbers and they look and they go, oh, geez, okay, labor's gonna, basically, I, I, I can't afford labor. That That's what's gonna kill the business model. Yeah. Um, in a way, that's a good thing, I guess, right? There's a lot of people making uh, very livable wages, but not everybody gets the benefit of that. And so uh, kind of the bureaucracy level and people that are kind of more closely so associated to the government, so kind of, kind of think of it like an ex indirect government expenditures, so consultants, uh, engineering firms, law firms, accounting firms, um, they're quite well off. Uh, but I think what we've created is this kind of uh, um, the northern equivalent of the working poor, which is the service sector. Yeah. I think if you talk to most uh, people that are you know dual income uh, couple that w with a kid that is making pretty good money, you ask them you know what's the uh, sorry and it's a cost of living driver is I guess what I'm getting at. And you say well what's the what's the you know what's the uh, why do you think the cost of living is high? What what do you think is too expensive? Uh, they actually probably won't talk about um, housing too much. Yeah, because they, they bought own. their house. Yeah. yeah. They don't want the houses yeah. to go down <laughs> yeah. because they'll lose equity. Exactly, yeah. Uh, what they'll probably talk about is the cost of eating out, the cost of childcare, and uh, the cost that, you know, there's not enough things to do in Yalmak. So, you know, we have to go down to, uh, you know, Edmonton a few times uh, uh, a year and, and go on, you know, multiple vacations and stuff. That... And really what they're saying is the service sector uh, is too expensive. And I think, uh, I mean, I tend to bring stuff back to real estate. What the reason is because, I mean, we don't have, you know, 500 million peasants living in, in uh, 
kind of out on farms that we can bring in, you know, like say, say uh, these giant uh, economies like, uh, you know, China and India. So, that, you know, as the cities grow, you have this unlimited supply of, uh, of really cheap labor. Yeah. Um, essentially, people have to want to move to the north uh, if, you, if you want to expand the population. And it's really expensive to live here. And so you have to, you have to pay high wages to cover the high costs of rent. Um, and, th and that's how you're going to kind of, you're going to grow the service sector. So if you really want, um, you know, say childcare costs to come down, what we need to do is lower the cost of living, uh, not on the people that are paying the childcare, but the people that are actually providing the childcare. And that's kind of the, the kind of crux of my next, uh, I guess I'm writing this new series and really kind of what it's all going to come towards is that, um, uh, we tend to have this trade-off between economic development and cost of living. Yeah. And uh, that if we were to really systematically attack the cost of living, that will be economic development. So if we can, if we can make it affordable to live here uh, for people in all sorts of different uh, income ranges, then a whole bunch of new businesses are going to sprout up. Um, that's, yeah, just kind of setting the stage for, for what could happen, I guess. Mm -hmm, because it also... I mean, it, it solves, it's not just a, a labor cost thing, it also solves the issue of retention because as soon as you are in the service industry and you gain remote competence, you jump to the GNWT. Oh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have this other issue of the that market just competing with like, you know, they're never gonna be able to compete. You know, you, there's, the GNWT will always pay better wages than the private sector in regards to the service industry. Yeah, So yeah. To, to work those service industry jobs, you're just, you have to, a choose not to jump into a government funded job or these extension ones, like you say, consulting and yeah. lawyers and, yeah. and you have to be paying the same cost of living that, you know, everyone else is living with. Yeah. Like I have no idea how, uh, some of the people working in the service sector make it work. Like you go, you know, how much does it cost to rent a room? Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and then you kind of go, okay, well that's only supposed to be a third of your kind of gross income. And, and you're just like, oh man, that's that's a lot. Like how, yeah. So how do you? I mean, there must be. I, I just don't know how they would do it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't like to just throw numbers out of my head, but the <laughs> the thirteen forty six minimum wage is it's about twenty dollars off of like trying to get to that one third. You know. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so that, just yeah, not even close. Yeah. So what's that? Yeah, twenty six thousand dollars a year, and then uh, <laughs> you go, what's that? Divide by three. I don't know. Twenty eight. Nine thousand dollars a year to pay in rent. Like, where are you gonna? Yeah. So you're you're looking at you got to find out a room for like seven fifty or something. Um, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I have no idea <laughs> how how they do it. And really, and so I think I mean that really there, there's kind of two these two housing markets that I think uh, kind of need help. Um, uh, one is kind of the social housing, so uh, which I think. You know the GNWT and the city have kind of really been addressing, but really I kind of like this kind of low-cost market housing. Um, if if that can be addressed, uh, we'd see kind of um, I think we'd see kind of you know people could make a living wage up here in, in the service sector, and that would really change yeah. uh, the north and Yellowknife in particular. I, uh, and this is why I can't like speak more about like it. Uh, it's weird for years that uh, I, I, I hate the left-right spectrum or whatever, but then if you were going to like pick the left, they were always kind of anti-development. You would get these like 
people on council who are really pro-social programs and anti-developers. Mm-hmm. And I don't. And I think now we're relearning how nonsensical that is. Is like the best thing the city of Yellowknife can do is support like local mid-sized developers who want to put more rental units on on the market. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who want to compete with Northview? Because who would want to jump into that game? There's no incentive to do so. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's really hard to because if you're going to build new, um, it's going to be very expensive because wage rates are high. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be expensive to build new, which means you're going. You're going to need uh, higher rent. So, I mean, I have this kind of unpopular opinion. Uh, you know, why is rent so high in Yellowknife? Well, it's not high enough to trigger new construction. Of the 600 or something new units that have been built in the last kind of five, six years, maybe 30 were, uh, were for rental. All yeah. the rest are condo developments. Exactly. Uh, and that's why our condo conversions were, uh, that's why we went that way. It, uh, it makes more sense. People are willing to pay more. On the ownership market than on the rental market, mm-hmm. and so that's that's what the the market's going to build to. So, yeah, I mean, I think the city's got a lot of tools in their control. They could, you know, potentially lower the cost of living, doing land leases to developers, um, that kind of with the kind of a two two speed rental rate on the land, where if it's they're provide, you know, if the developer's providing affordable housing, you give them a real good discount on the uh, on their land rent, and if they decide to go market, then you charge market rent on the land. Um, it doesn't cost the city anything, really. Um, you know, right. they have just land right. inventory, right? Or they exactly. can pick up land inventory. So. Actually, it, uh, yeah. we're just basically spending money right now and not cl- in lost opportunity costs. Yeah. I talked about this a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah. is we're holding on to empty lots that uh, yeah. we're not getting taxes on, nor are we getting the taxes on them at their highest possible use. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and then and pounding in new areas with all the infrastructure costs. When you yeah. have infrastructure going by vacant land um that could be developed and yeah i mean yeah it's funny you know nimbyism is uh is everywhere yeah um uh or almost everywhere you hear about uh was it like the oh the city houston or something like issues more permits in the state of california for new builds uh like on a regular basis and then you say well why is there an affordability crisis in every californian (laughs) city oh my god because you don't let anything get built yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i know so many of those california cities just like sprawled need to be mowed down densified oh yeah yeah. just gone yeah (laughs) apparently there's a whole golf course thing where golf courses get all these tax rebates or and lower property taxes and it's just there's just giant holes in in a city right so. yeah i know and they make the like green space argument it's like no green space argument green space is public yeah yeah parks, it's private. Yeah, yeah you don't have to pay a hundred bucks to yeah. <laughs> walk around on it yeah um Okay, um, so Sam, you ran for the Green Party as a candidate in what what election was that? Was that two? Uh, two th- two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit? Well, who talked you into doing that? Who roped you into doing that? And oh, how geez. did it go? That's a good question. Um, I don't remember. Uh, I was actually um, helping out a, another federal candidate, um, and uh, I don't know. Yeah, I just kind of. Uh, I mean, I, I thought I wanted to get into politics, um, and I didn't really think. I, I always thought territorially would be the what I'd like to do eventually, um, and then yeah, the kind of the, yeah, we we'd like to have you, Sam. Oh, please, yeah. <laughs> please keep that in your mind. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, I, I, yeah, I don't really remember um, what the decision was. I remember it was uh, it was it was unpopular with uh, with friends and family, <laughs> people trying to talk me out of it. <clears throat> but uh it was really 
a great experience. Um, kind of the um, well, and I guess you you know now. <laughs> it's a, a little bit like having a sales job, kind of doing the door knocking, approaching people in parking lots and stuff, and and having to talk about yourself and and uh, and hear about what what they think is important. Um, and so it's really kind of a yeah, just real intense experience. Uh, you know, thirty something days. It was super tiring. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, being for the Green Party at the time, you know, didn't have a, a ton of uh, a ton of help. It was really kind of friends and and family. <laughs> well, yeah, and yeah. The, being for the Green Party also comes up with this hurdle of like, oh, you're just some hippie, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, I, you know, yeah. I, can, I actually know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. So I, yeah, I tried to um, combat that a bit. Like, so I, I, I'm, I guess more of a, like a Jim Harris Green Party person. So Jim Harris left the conservative party, the PC party. Yeah. I, the... And, uh, and, uh, and really he, his kind of argument was more, you know, if you're a real conservative, you, you should want to conserve, um, you know, it's not just conserving, uh, you know, power structures and stuff. It's, uh, you know, conserving the environment, um, you know, not foolishly, uh, you know, spending our environmental capital, uh, and that, that argument really kind of kind of you know rung true with me and i really like that i mean uh, uh, most of the like founders of the north american model of conservation which is you know arguably the best in the world were like i mean they were republicans in the states and they were viewed as kind of right-wing figures because that conservationism fit into their view of yeah, conservatism yeah yeah and, uh, yeah yeah so it, i think like teddy roosevelt or like yeah, yeah uh yeah. mike harris made a whole bunch of uh i think provincial parks in, mm -hmm. in ontario uh, I think kind of historically, uh, the conservative governments made more, uh, more national parks. So it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of a, yeah. And there's this other interesting thing that kind of happened. Like I, people, people always like, I mean, admittedly the green party is pulling a lot from the NDP because the NDP is crashing in this election or whatever, but like, there's so many card carrying conservatives who jump ship to the green party and it really creates like these interesting tensions in like policy discussions. Yeah. Is, yeah. Actually, um, I was, uh, just before I met up with you, I was in Javaroma, uh, talking to someone and they're like, well, I don't know how you lean politically. Um, I said, well, actually, yeah, I, uh, I'm actually a member of the conservative party, but I vote green in the last uh, three elections. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and a lot of people like, don't get that. Yeah. You guys are going to have to think about that. Um, yeah, it, it's, uh, I mean, I really, I probably don't fit on the, the regular political spectrum, I guess. Uh, but I found the nice thing about running for the green party is you, you look through their policy platform and it just all makes sense. It's all kind of very kind of fact driven. And, um, so it was, um, really I kind of concentrated on the debates. Uh, um, I wanted to do really well in the debates because I thought that was my opportunity to be there with kind of the the four other candidates and really kind of I, I said you know like how often do you get to play golf with Tiger Woods and and show that maybe you're you're uh, you're in the same league you never get that those kind of opportunities but in the federal election versus the other elections um, there really is kind of a concentration on just a few candidates so it was a real uh, neat opportunity to. Uh, to kind of get my name out there. I mean, it wasn't the, the purpose, but it was this weird byproduct. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I was at a restaurant <laughs> with my wife and uh, uh, some people from out of town came over and they wanted me to, to meet their, uh, their daughter. Cause, um, cause they were like, uh, they, they were studying me and, or were studying the election and, and, uh, Oh, Hey, there's a, a 
federal candidate in the, in the restaurant like he ordered me. It's a, it's a bizarre uh, experience of being a celebrity for. You know, yeah, so exactly. that's my that's my uh, whatever. Sixteen seconds of. <laughs> it's a complete like you know switch in how you walk around in the world. Like you know you go yeah. from being um, just and then everyone's kind of looking and engaging with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. neat. It reframes a lot of your actions. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a it was a good experience. I think you'll have a lot of fun. Uh, I'm having a lot of fun. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I, yeah, I also think that there's this misconception that like you should go around talking and being like a politician. And I find that especially in Yellowknife, like we have such a Yellowknife North is just so educated and so many bureaucrats like they, yeah, yeah. you can't you can't bullshit with them. Like, you know, you have to just be like, yeah, this is what I think. This is what I know. Here's what I don't know. Because if I start talking too much education, they're like, actually, I'm the director of that department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You'll put your foot in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's probably, um, listening to people is probably, you know, you do a little kind of pitch about yourself and then listen to people. I get. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't super successful. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't know what the key is. Um, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. So yeah, my fir my first sales job. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what are you doing in Ottawa these days? Are you are you politically involved at all? Are you uh, <laughs> not, trying yeah. to get the ears of any? <laughs> not really. Well, I helped out. Uh, uh, there was a we had an issue at our son's school that eventually we had to go to the school board for, um, and our local trustee was quite helpful in resolving the situation, um, and then he ran for city council. Um, and I didn't know his politics at all. <laughs> and so I, uh, I went out and, uh, helped him and, and went to this kind of big meeting they had. And so all these kind of people were, uh, must've been like 40 people yeah. were in a big kind of meeting room in a circle and they started pretty far away from me. Kind of, you stand up, introduce yourself, you know, why are you, you know, helping out Sean or whatever. And every second person was, uh, to stand up against developers. <laughs> and I was like, and it's getting around to me. I'm like, oh my god, I'm in the wrong group here. <laughs> uh, so I, yeah, it turns out I was helping like a pretty far left candidate. Uh, but I think, uh, or he drew a lot of support from the far left. Um, and <laughs> so, but uh, once again, though, this binary: why is the far left candidate against developers? Like, yeah, why yeah. are you against density that creates, you know, yeah. <laughs> lower costs yeah. and a better city and less infrastructure spending? I yeah. don't understand yeah. it. <laughs> So uh, yeah, I get, uh, and uh, actually, I, I swam with the uh, one of the campaign managers. Uh, this was kind of a surprise. He, you know, I went there and lo and behold, the campaign manager is somebody I knew. Um, so I started, uh, you know, I kind of chatted with him halfway through the meeting when we on break. You know, oh, so uh, you know, I'm kind of a real estate developer. Um, maybe I can help out with some of the on the policy side. So they were looking at promoting some stuff that I think would actually hurt housing affordability. Uh, so I kind of wrote some. Uh, you know, some stuff about like, you know, alternative options. If you're, you know, basically the, the land rental versus they were looking at bringing in, um, and they've done this in England, like it's disastrous, I think. But they basically say, if you want to develop, you have to make X percentage of your, uh, of your new build stuff affordable. Yeah, exactly. Basically means sell at cost. But all that means is now the the, uh, the burden of getting the profits get transferred to the to the remaining units. And so the project won't go ahead until prices get even higher. Um, and then it just becomes like a, a windfall for the few people that get the affordable units. Um, anyway, so I came up with some kind of policy alternatives. Uh, and, and, and the person ended up winning, but uh, yeah, they never, uh, 
never ask for my opinions again. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, too much nuance in it. I yeah, think so. yeah. So yeah, mostly in uh, um, we relocated to Ottawa. Just um, uh, my wife wanted to be in a larger city. Um, uh, kind of, I, I, I agreed that you know we'd only stay here for a certain period of time. She's used to bigger cities, uh, and then moved to moved to Yellowknife. So. And kind of more opportunities, um, kind of specifically uh, for my son. So we moved to Ottawa, and but I found it's been uh, it's quite good. Like uh, I'm lucky to have Rob as a business partner, um, and uh, uh, so he he's located here, and I come up quite a bit. Um, uh, but it does give me yeah some distance, so I can kind of do more thinking, I guess. So I can write these. Uh, well, one I could write like you know a series about NWT. Uh, economic realities yeah. um put it out there and then not show up in town for two months <laughs> <laughs> um uh and uh but really yeah try to find kind of southern trends and 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 what can we import to Yellowknife? that type of thing is so it's a it's a nice mix i'm here a lot uh still most of my friends are in Yellowknife. knife uh, kind of like over socialized when i'm in Yellowknife, and then hardly know anybody in ottawa still um, can we talk a bit about, you, you touch on this in the economic reality series, is the effect of, I, I mean, I always use Northview, but right now we have, you know, three or two southern REITs controlling the vast majority of the rental market and what yeah. this does in regards to cost of living. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of unpack your current thinking on this? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, um, kind of in my article, so in the, yeah, where do we start? Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, um, in the United States, there really is kind of a a consumer protection. Probably, I mean, maybe not right now, but definitely um, uh, the idea of kind of the antitrust legislation down there. Yeah, bust really the a, trust was like a, a federal slogan for years. And yeah, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they broke up Imperial Oil. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, it really is about kind of protecting the consumer. Uh, the and this and then I talk like federally, right? Like uh, where in Canada it really does seem to be kind of a producer uh, protective model, um, which I think is like a little bit more. Uh, I'm never going to be able to pronounce it. Merc mercantilist. Mer mercant mercantilist. Mercantilist. That's yeah, what absolutely. Yeah, I'll forget how to pronounce it again. Um, uh, so yeah, yeah. This. Uh, and really where you're looking to protect the producers. And I think you see this across the board, kind of with protection of you know, Bell Canada, um, like really the large players mm -hmm. in, in most industries uh, get special protection or just like regulatory capture. Yeah, the, the thing is we're, we're missing a key factor in the mercantilist model. Like, I mean, Japan's the prime example is they protect the producers, but those producers compete internationally. Yeah, yeah You know, yeah, we yeah, protect yeah, yeah. Rogers and Bell, but they don't compete elsewhere. Yeah, so they're yeah, not, yeah. So, they're just taking money from consumers in Canada, not globally. Yeah, yeah. Just, <laughs> we miss yeah. that step in <laughs> yeah, the mercantilist model. Yeah. And then redistributing to, uh, yeah, yeah, to the mostly Canadian owners. So, I mean, so, yeah. yeah. Um, less and less so. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so essentially the United States has some kind of very uh, specific ways. They go, okay, you look at the percentage, uh, so what's the H HHI index, which is two mathematicians or economists. I, I don't remember their names, but they both start with H. Um, and uh, you, you essentially look at the market share of each of the, uh, the major players. Um, there's a formula you run it through and at a certain level they'll allow um, mergers to go ahead uh, at another level they'll review it and another level they would never let it let you do it and um, if you kind of 
put uh, uh, the residential rental market in there, you, you put in the larger players, the number looks really, really high. Uh, now, when I wrote the article, um, uh, we got a, uh, Rob got a phone call <laughs> from, from a, a large landlord uh, wanting to, to talk with us because they felt our numbers were wrong. Um, and yeah, there's always going to be debate about what you put in it, I guess, you know, so, um, you know, do you include all houses as, as you're kind of including houses that you can buy a, a you know, a million dollar house in Cam Lake? Does that count as, as part of your universe when you're trying to figure out, I would say, no, I think if you look, just look at the rental stock, um, there are, yeah, there's too much market concentration. Um, and I think there was in the commercial market. And the GNWT essentially went and started building their own and they're busting that up. And then, you know, we'll see the effects of that, you know, commercial rates coming down. Hmm. Um, yeah, but you just, you don't see that. And I feel, I, yeah. Um, how did, sorry, how did your, uh, your... Yeah, so I filed a complaint. Yeah, how'd that go? The, I, I was the, looking for... Uh, the yeah. Competition Bureau of Canada yeah. on this exact issue, kind of making the argument that, what well, uh, it kind of, I had a really, really good com conversation with the person at the competition bureau the okay. investigator yeah um and we we chatted they, they got were engaged we chatted numbers a bit because the data is very hard to pinpoint because it's like you know what exactly your denominator is 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 yeah, the big yeah. question it's like yeah. what about rental units that are you know in my home as a person or there's there's lots of rental units that are yeah. not these strict apartment complex so i'm trying yeah. to measure just what whatever regardless so yeah. i was um but to my knowledge it went nowhere and will go nowhere or you know they, they don't like keep you updated oh really okay yeah i i'm hoping they went and asked some questions and ruffled some feathers i never got any phone calls like, yeah you know, i made it public i'm a, I'm a lawyer you have my faces on signs you can find me north yeah, you yeah. if you want to discuss the numbers <laughs> i was waiting for that phone call because that was yeah. actually what i was more interested in it's like I don't, at, at times, I think Northview even, like, forgets that they own these buildings. Like, you know, they're a rounding error on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they, they've, uh, I think that the, the merger with uh, um, True North Apartments, REIT, I think. Yeah. And Northern Properties, it really kind of changed their portfolio mix. They're, uh, they're quite a bit bigger now. And, of course. And I think they are trying to diversify out they're of the, the West and out of the North. second largest in Canada right now. Are they? Okay. Well, wow. all right. Maybe I have that wrong. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> this yeah. Is, I hate throwing numbers around. Yeah, without yeah. They could the... be one of the big apartment reads. That's for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and I think they are trying to diversify into Ontario and into Quebec and out of uh, kind of what they feel are the resource uh, economy regions of, of Canada, I think. No, they are. Uh, and, and so, and, which is a problem with their and, business model is that in order to do that, they have to take the rent from where they started in these resource sectors, right? Yellow knife. Right. Yeah. And then take all that capital and invest it on Ontario. Like, it's yeah, just yeah, a just, straight funnel. There's no reinvestment back in yeah, Yellow Knife. Yeah, re, re, redeploying capital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, yeah, you're making way better rates down in uh, kind of Toronto region. So, um, everybody's looking to try to get in there. I think Montreal's the new gold mine. There's going to be a gold rush there for that but uh yeah and it's that same problem is that the construction costs are way too high so they have the capital where they could actually do it but when they look around the country it's like why would they ever build new rental condos here you know oh yeah well and and yeah and they only did it um when they already own the land yeah and and it, it totally makes sense like uh, rob and i are constantly running the numbers like can can you build rental stock here uh, uh and and earn a reasonable return 
um, or like have the bank even lend you money because you're covering your costs? And and the answer is almost always no. no um, and so, um, yeah, it's kind of this natural monopoly situation where replacement costs are too high for new new stock to come on. So. I mean, you have kind of regular people kind of stepping into the mix, um, essentially, you know, say buying a brand new condo and then renting out, you know, you seem to have a lot of people that are willing to do that and lose a hundred dollars a month for some reason. But, uh, yeah. um, you know, that's good <laughs> for renters. <laughs> no. And yeah. this is, uh, who did you see that? Uh, I, I can hand it to you after there's, uh, this group of two professors, um, and they, uh, did this study on, you know, addressing housing costs in the north and they had a few kind of solutions and uh, oh, did no, you see I, this? They, no, no. Pretty much every house in Yellowknife got one. Like oh, they no. did a <laughs> massive lit drop. Um, yeah. Anyways, one of their policy options was essentially like we're going to have to focus on smaller, like, you know, uh, backyard suites, in-house oh, yeah, suites, yeah. like kind of densification of the residential buildings we have is probably our best tool in increasing rental supply. Oh yeah, yeah. Then, like I've like personally, I've lost like just kind of all like I just this the GNWT is not going to address these issues. Yeah. Um, it's really in the city's control, uh, and the city really needs to sit down and go, okay, do I care what color this laneway house is? Do I care if it shares a pipe with the main house? Do I even care if it's connected? Uh, can they have, uh, like, you know, can we have pump out water and sewer, pump in water, pump out sewer? Um, do we, you know, do we care? Yeah, garbage. Do we really care about how garbage collection works? It's really expensive to build here, right? We're on Canadian Shield. It's all rock, blasting in pipes and stuff. Very expensive. It's expensive to heat up here. Like, why not reduce some other costs, right? Um, in most other places that are really bizarre, uh, or kind of bizarre, non-standard, uh, you start getting different styles of housing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, do we have to have houses that match houses in Mississauga uh, or kind of, you know, Richmond, Wind. BC or something? Or, you know, do we need 2,500 square foot houses? And then kind of putting on kind of higher environmental standards or, or heating efficiency. Why not just, uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm for that, but, uh, you know, people will do the math themselves um, and you can kind of, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we have minimum size standards, minimum height standards, all these restrictions that really just add to the cost. And if we were to eliminate all those, what would happen? The, the painting is my favorite one. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. Dane Mason built his back door suite <laughs> and then he was told to paint it the same color of his house, which like, you know, to fully paint it, like puts that project above any reasonable cost. Yeah, you know, it's it, just I mean, like that 10% you're dealing with is just gone. Yeah, it's razor thin margins. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, now you got to recoup that. Yeah. Um, and you also yeah. like, you have to, like the bank's not giving you that capital. So you have to have it or, you know, you got to go be making enough money to get a loan. Like you're not getting a mortgage on that right, yeah, shack yeah, in the back of your house. Yeah. And, there, yeah, and that's something Rob's been looking a lot at. You know, is there ways where you can get separate title and borrow against that laneway house? And, yeah. So it's just, yeah. It's, yeah. And God forbid, you know, we ever allowed any sort of subdivision of these perfectly defined lots. It's like we do, the city doesn't like to address the problem. Like they don't want to solve it. They just want to kind of keep this status quo model of zoning. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, and, and yeah, the color thing I find is funny, right? It's yeah. like where, where's the most generally the most desirable places to, to live and hang out in Yellowknife. 
and it's the places that have lots of multicolored houses. That, yeah. You know, yeah. It, uh, um, Why would we make them the same look and style when like old townhouses are selling for 20% more and they're a bunch of ramshackle things that have been put together? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, uh, but you know, like if you're, I guess if you're, if you're a carpenter, you know, every uh, problem requires a hammer. Uh, a little bit of that situation where, I mean, if you have a department, their job is to look at the kind of, you know, rules and regulations. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what they do. I mean, they've been doing a pretty good job of rolling back some of the parking ones and stuff. But I mean, really, if it's not a safety issue or and you're not kind of pushing some kind of extreme externalities onto your neighbors. Yeah, exactly. Who cares? Like, yeah. really? Or onto the city, right? But uh, I don't know. I mean, I've never run the numbers, but I'm always curious about well, Northlands. Wouldn't it have made more sense just to go to uh, pump in and pump out than spend all that money? I don't know, like, because it was a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Um, um, I mean, I assume somebody looked at it at some point, but uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to keep costs down, um, operating costs are really a small part. It's really about keeping the capital costs down. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, I'm not sure if uh, pump in, well, maybe it would have. I mean, they were really trying to address the issue of CMHC giving mortgages on those places. Yeah. And I, I'm, maybe CMHC was kind of like, okay, put a road in and pave it and put some infrastructure. Right, yeah, yeah. Because C yeah. a pump-in, pump-out trailer is really... Like, they're already... You know, they don't like giving more than 15-year mortgages on Northlands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. but they give... You know, they give uh, 25 out on... Uh... Yeah, the these, end of uh, Con Road. Yeah, these right? new ones we yeah. drop in brand new. But Northlands is full of stock that's 20, 30 years yeah, old, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. yeah, so, yeah, tough to say. But yeah, I mean, if, if it's really all in the city's control, I think. So Yeah, think, well, it, so very interestingly, the city is being extremely vocal in this territorial election about a couple issues. And I think they all tie into this is one, the city has a huge funding gap, right. which like, when your administration just simply does not have enough money to, you know, keep its basic infrastructure in place and is like, you know, racking up debt every year. Yeah. Um, it doesn't also have time to go hire proper policy people to fix these and keep opening up zoning bylaws. Like your number one job as a city councilor right now is like finding those pennies in the budget. You know? Right. They're not. Yeah. There's not their time to have this kind of creative rethinking of their bylaws. Right? Yeah, I mean they already have this, you know, broad broad mandate already. Right? Yeah, they're you fighting keep... homelessness, like yeah, you know, yeah. and... and that's like outside of kind of you know your basic stuff of just kind of you know garbage pickup and all that you get. So you got that, and then you're adding on kind of these extra extra layers to address issues that citizens have been frustrated with forever, like home homelessness and and the downtown area. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah, I mean they're they're trying to carry a lot and and. You know, and I think, yeah, people get upset that they're kind of stepping outside their, their mandate, but no one else is doing it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. And people want it done. They don't really care which level of government uh, deals with it. They just, you know. And I, yeah. and it's like, it wouldn't even be the GNWT stepping in. It would just be the GNWT in the city meeting and being like, okay, we're going to give you an extra, you know, $20 million here. Like, yeah. what do we, are we getting done together? Yeah. Because there's also this city issue right now that they're really pushing is that the city doesn't own the vast majority of the land within the municipal boundaries. You know, right. It's owned yeah. by the GNWT. And whenever they want to go do anything that's not in compliance with their land use plan, they apply to the Department of Lands. A year and a half later, yeah. they either get that denied or <laughs> it doesn't come out. And it's like, yeah. that's not the way developers work like they see an opportunity for a parcel and want to build something and 
Yeah, construction's slow enough as it is. You don't yeah. need a, an extra two-year delay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that issue is also kind of ties into this. The city is just kind of... Well, I don't know. I, I could also... I can complain about the city and the GNWT, yeah. but it's like... I find when you say this is just a city problem or just a GNWT problem, it's like, no, the funding... At the end of the day, the funding's all federal, and we're trying to, like, pass off authority. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I think the city has, uh, yeah, they might not be resourced, but they definitely, the, uh, the powers, they, they definitely have the powers to address a lot of these issues. Um, yeah, whether it's properly funded or not is... is yeah, is, sorry, that was my rant. About yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah. Um... Okay, some other things I'd kind of like to touch on with you is so this kind of affordable housing study that was uh, thrown around had a number of solutions. All of them I kind of agreed with, you know. But w the one that I always see thrown around and it just kind of makes me cringe is uh, rent control. Can you give me your thoughts on rent control as a model of affecting, well, the cost of rent? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I mean, I guess it depends how they implement it, but kind of any kind of controls would, uh, I mean, it's going to, like I said, I don't think rents are high enough um, relative to construction costs. Uh, so really, if you want to kind of push it's important rents to down, add that second. Yeah, part yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. People <laughs> I want to raise the rent, Sam yeah, Gamble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the rents are too damn low. <laughs> um, uh, and so really, yeah, the, the, uh, what uh, needs to be addressed is the cost of construction, I think. Um, so if you kind of limit the revenues, uh, all you'll do is you'll just kind of cut out. I mean, there's no new construction anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll you'll um, keep rents from from going up, uh, and that'll you know rents will never reach the point where where it'll kind of spur new construction. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, I mean I understand the um, the idea behind it, I like the goal. I would agree with it. I just don't think it's the the way to do it. I would really attack uh, cost of construction, and I'm not. I'm not saying there should be no controls on the cost of construction either. Like really, what they got to do is, um, I know I'm going to sound like a kind of cut ready tape, but like the the regulations on construction, um, BIP would be another area where that's where the GNWT could help. Um, you know, construction is a what they call a non-tradable industry uh you can't well you can build something really far away and and bring it into the city yeah we do uh, that with trailers <laughs> yeah uh, but it's uh it's it really um it doesn't usually happen like if you're going to build a high-rise somewhere chances are you're going to build it there with labor that uh, either needs to come in and live there temporarily or or uh or local labor um so yeah, it's kind of this kind of circle, right? Where it's kind of the cost in construction is driven by the cost of labor, um, which uh, you know causes housing prices to be high, which you know increases the cost of living, which increases the cost of construction. We're kind of stuck in this groundhog's day. Um, but for the GNWT to kind of give out, uh, you know, give preferential treatment to local construction companies that can rely on local labor and not bring in labor from somewhere else. Um, they already have a natural advantage. That would be one area that uh, the GNWT could look at. One of the things I'm, I'm uh, kind of my next article will be about is is there kind of alternatives to BIP? Could we start pulling certain industries out of BIP? Um, 
and I mean that's going to be unpopular. It's going to be a change to to kind of the economy. Um, but maybe there's something else we can do. So kind of um, say wage wage subsidies. So rather than getting BIP, any construction company that has local labor gets a few dollars an hour um, for per you know per labor hour. Uh, a contribution from the GWT. I think they kind of do that in their their trades program already. So, uh, so if a construction company hires local labor, uh, whether they're working for a GWT project or working on a private project, helping someone put in a new kitchen, uh, if they're using local labor, um, they would get get some money from the government. Uh, and I would tie it into local labor would be whatever the standards are to require that person to be counted as part of the GNW, uh, the NWT's population. Yeah. Um, to get the federal funding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can probably start tweaking it. Oh, we, you know, um, we, you know, uh, we find that, uh, you know, there's not enough female participation in this portion of the labor market or Aboriginal participation. You can start tweaking the, uh, you can start tweaking the thing. It's not the ideal fix, but it's better than BIP. Because um, essentially, what BIP is, I mean, uh, um, it's it's uh, there's, I mean, the end effect is really no different than what like Trump is trying to do in the United States, right? <laughs> it's really a tariff on on everybody from outside, um, and I think most people in the NWT would think that Trump's economic policies are, <laughs> or the way he's approaching his economic policies are uh, unpopular. But we're just doing the same thing here. Again, it's protecting. Is that mer mercan mercantist mercantilist mercantilist uh, approach? Yeah, where we're protecting producers at the cost of the local population, as you mentioned, as opposed to <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure I agree with that because the the effect of well, I mean, I get the the cost argument, but I I think if you take a larger picture of you know. A lot of our construction companies right here are thriving, thriving quotations, yeah. are relying on BIP, which, and they are not flying workers in and out. And then those workers are staying here, which then give us $35,000 a year from the federal government. Mm -hmm. You know, so every time you give that contract to a local company that has staff living here. Yeah. Um, and then can continue to exist. Like we're seeing a lot of our industries, you know, go down south, which means the people are going down south. Right. So yeah. I, I. To me, the like biggest economic assessment we always have to make with any GWT population is like retention. Right. You know, does it retain yeah, yeah. people, which yeah. equals money? Yeah. Um, and, but BIP, BIP is also a. I don't know how much BIP also fits into this issue of construction of you know new residential units in the sense that you know, BIP applies to GNWT contracts and that still doesn't solve our issue of like, we need someone in the private sector, yeah, the private well, market to go yeah. and do that. Well, if I guess, so yeah, my argument is that BIP uh, for construction companies dries up the cost of construction on everybody. Uh, and so now it makes, uh, if you're, it just makes it expensive for private market people to use construction companies. But if they because, eliminated BIP and use that money uh, towards kind of a wage subsidy program. Now everybody has access to that. I can hire somebody to renovate a kitchen um, and uh, they will receive the same benefit whether they did that job or they took a GNWT job. Yeah. But right now, GNWT just pays better. Just okay. like, the, just like it's, it's like the labor market as well. So why not, uh, yeah, open that up to everybody. Um, it's a, yeah, not the best solution, but... 
Yeah, yeah, uh, I have to think about it. Yeah, because I I agree that that is. I don't know if that's the direct result of BIP. That's just the kind of the result of the GNWT being the biggest game in town for hiring construction companies. You can run a construction company here and just ignore people. Like you just only yeah, go yeah, after yeah. government contracts. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if getting rid of BIP would necessarily change that. Like you would still always just be bidding on government contracts. Uh, well, maybe yeah, but it would be it'd be the, at the same rate at least. Uh, in theory, um, and you know the also the well, you can I guess in residential construction to a certain extent, um, but there's also this issue of the average person you know in, in doing a little Reno or something isn't hiring Southern labor. They're you know not going to fly someone up for that. You know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, the, and and kind of what we've been seeing is you have these <clears throat> when you get an economic slowdown in say Alberta, you get kind of uh, every summer a bunch of you know. Uh, roofing companies and siding companies and small players kind of come up, uh, uh, you know, from Alberta. Yeah. Uh, and so roofing's got kind of cheaper, surprisingly <laughs> cheaper in, in Yellowknife right now. Uh, and we kind of see this on our, uh, like on our staff housing side, we see, see a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, Southern contractors coming up for just a few months and just like banging out a ton of uh, residential jobs. So Yeah, and then it becomes... A question of is the the net benefit of that, which is you know those companies are providing cheaper construction costs, you know, which helps with cost of living, versus you know if those companies aren't in the market, there's a yellow knife company doing that at a higher rate, but retaining people, which we get money for, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it gets back to this fake economy thing to me, which is well, if the goal is to an Arctic sovereignty exercise to keep people here yeah. and get money from the federal government. That's the better option. And that's, yeah. Well, that's... This, is, this is where I think, again, uh, <laughs> it's where it comes down to kind of a cost of living versus economic development argument. And I, I feel like if you really boil down a lot of the kind of contentious issues, that is really what it kind of boils down to. Should, uh, you know, should a construction camp be allowed to be built within the city Yellowknife's boundaries? Um, the Airbnb debate, I think, is is about that. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, well, even this one, you know, it's it's, yeah, it's what, and uh, I mean, I'd want to look at specifically at the numbers in each situation. Of course, in an ideal world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, you sit on a, a throne and they come in and make an argument. And, yes, no, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I mean, when you're looking at, when you're talking about uh, lowering the capital cost of a, an asset that's like a 30 or 50 year asset uh, by 20% or getting a, a temporary spike in, uh, in labor income, um, I would argue for housing, uh, construction and some of these longer term assets, like really it's just, it should be about the cost. Uh, that, that'd be my guess without looking at the specific numbers of every project that the you know, so, you know, and, and kind of the extreme examples would be like, okay, we can, we can bring in, uh, Southern labor and build, uh, uh, I'm just gonna make up numbers, eight units, eight housing units in a, in a small community far up North, yeah. or we can hire locally and build four for the same price. Um, the benefits of having four additional units, uh, I would think would outweigh that kind of labor bump for, for a year, year and a half in that community. But I totally understand why, the community would want to build that uh, when there's not much going on economically. And that means there's lots of, you know, there's money for a little bit. Um, 
Yeah, and I... Yeah, that that's an extremely fair way to to frame the debate. And I think the issue is if that company does not actually grow to gain like a skill set and knowledge which allows it to then compete, you know, outside of the territory, then we're really like we're not getting the advantage. And this is that right, yeah, the yeah. mercantilist model without going outside. Yeah. You know, yeah. like we're the whole point should be to attract protect northern construction companies so they build a skill set and can compete for contracts in yukon and nunavut and you know northern yeah, ontario yeah and we see that happen <laughs> and but then they just relocate the entire company right yeah so, and then if, yeah so, that's why know, we clark, have no headquarters and yeah so yeah clark builders or uh uh nova um uh, mike marginovich you know all these guys started up here um but once yeah the market gets too small for them um, but then the whole company relocates. It's not like uh, not like Toyota <laughs> or something where you kind of the factories are here and 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 so the it just means more work for here. So yeah, construction is probably not one of those industries that uh, that works with that model of uh, kind of exporting model. I would think anyway. But uh, yeah, I mean generally construction in the sense that like you know it. Uh like you're saying, because labor is the biggest factor in there. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's kind of more specialized areas that we could be building the industry and it could be competing, you know, that are whatever, northern building techniques, green building kind right. of. There's yeah. these specialized areas of construction where you could build the knowledge and right. yeah. that it's not necessarily tied to the work. And and, and architects are kind of, you, you jump into that other sector where they can do a lot of their work remotely right and yeah, compete yeah. and the labor cost is not one <laughs> yeah but they the, yeah 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 so yeah yeah i mean it's uh it, it, yeah i mean there's never um it's always a bunch of trade-offs i guess and, and trying to value what those trade-offs are yeah um and i think we're doing yeah. these we're trying to balance that right now without honest policy assessment and proper policy assessment yeah. and BIP's number one motivator is just like protectionist of, I mean, there's grandfathered companies in there that left down South. It's like, Oh really? I didn't know that. Oh geez. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like there's, you know, and there's people who are getting bipped who like have yeah. keep a few staff here and keep yeah. the status, you know? Yeah. So they're, and then they get the contract and fly a bunch of Southern labor up anyway. So right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, BIP's not a perfect system anyways. And I, you know, yeah. we could, I think, you've kind of hit the nail on the head is that the the labor is the fundamental issue there and how you frame that is yeah and and, and maybe bit makes sense in kind of the more uh kind of tradable industries but to kind of to have bip on um i mean i don't know i don't think it is but uh you know so flowers or something like that right it's just like it's a it's a very quickly perishable good you don't order flowers online um you know they don't show up on amazon they haven't yet perfected yeah, yeah. how to get to get you flowers they probably will in the next few years but uh you know so to to give a uh, um an advantage to someone that already has an advantage for being local uh is kind of a weird thing to do and it's just i think it needs to be more targeted i guess would be my yeah uh, um i mean we don't really yeah but the, but you don't really need bip for non-tradable industries because we just hire them like they they have the advantage and yeah, yeah. we just directly contact yeah, with them. yeah exactly yeah. yeah but they do have bip they can be bipped and get 20 percent uh, 10 or 20 percent uh, uh premium yeah if when they sell the government which drives up the price on everybody else because now it's like well if i yeah if i only have i'm picking on flowers here but if i only have 10 flowers to sell 
Sarah will be upset one of her tenants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing, Sam? <laughs> yeah. um, Picking on the flower industrial complex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Um, I'd also like to talk a bit about um, kind of tying into this issue of the GNWT and this rentier state just as... It, I mean, it competes in so many different ways that it's hard to pinpoint. But another thing you, you've seen with the GNWT is it kind of balloons. It's because it's the best place and because it can keep pulling federal money yeah. and keep making these semi-fake business cases to get federal money. And I, I should do what you did. Is that like, I fully support this. It's a great yeah. thing. It's yeah. why we're here. It's yeah. why I love Yellowknife. Yeah. We should continue to get as much federal money as possible yeah. and maximize that. But... Uh, we still need to be kind of honest when making policy. Yeah, we'll just not tell the feds, you know. Yeah. After we'll we'll sell them. Um, but so it's it's ballooned to actually compete directly with a lot of these industries. Is and what's happening is we're seeing you know designers go in house to government, and we're seeing architects go in house to government, and engineers, and and more and more kind of project officers who like could one hundred percent be in the private sector. Yeah. are now G and W T jobs. Um, and I believe you kind of discussed this and that that's, is that a, is a kind of a typical thing in the rentier state is that that economy just like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the kind of percentage of people that, that work for the, uh, uh, for the government it yeah. expands. So like if you were to look at say, um, Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, you'd see a huge proportion of, of Saudis or Kuwaitis work for the, uh, the government. So yeah, the bureaucracy is kind of just, or wherever the rent money shows up, it's just going to naturally expand. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, yeah, uh, kind of on the political side, you see a very powerful bureaucracy in rentier states. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, very small um, kind of sample size. But if you were to look at kind of uh, on a territorial level, the kind of where these politicians come from, um, kind of what they were doing beforehand. Uh, a lot of the time, uh, they were senior bureaucrats. Um, well, and government that's, lawyers. Yeah, and that's, that's <laughs> kind of it's. When you think about it, it's a little bit of a weird thing, right? It's just uh, you know, uh, you know, um, you know. Uh, I'm not picking on uh, Bob or Premier as the Premier, but um, you know, uh, Premier's coming out of you know being in a, a previously being a DM is not something that you see in in. Kind of southern in the in the provinces right yeah, yeah absolutely um uh you know it you know, probably on the conservative side they're coming out of kind of business or law um uh well mostly law i would think um kind too of many damn lawyers yeah yeah <laughs> but uh yeah you don't you, you don't kind of typically see someone kind of making the jump from uh kind of being uh in the uh senior management of a of the government and then going into politics. Um, I mean, there might be, it might be a lot of kind of senior people working in kind of NGOs or, or related government stuff that, that eventually become MPPs or something like that. But, um, and it, yeah, like I say, it's a small sample size, but it's, uh, you know, if you look at our last few premiers, a lot of them have been uh, senior bureaucrats before. Uh, at the same time, if, if that's almost the only job that pays really well, uh, someone that's going to be really successful in, Territorial politics is probably going to be successful in whatever they work at, and if the largest industry is government, they're going to be, they're probably going to be successful in that too, right? And and so it makes sense they're coming out from that way. But it does, yeah, you do get this kind of ballooning effect. Um, you get this uh, 
entrenchment too i believe in that you know if you're <laughs> the, the all of the skilled labor is getting pulled into the bureaucracy then working there for years and then becoming the leadership it's like you any system kind of you're only going to operate within how you learned that system works you know you don't yeah. get these business people coming in and doing what you're doing saying like this doesn't make sense and shaking things up yeah yeah and i mean yeah it's uh, it's probably a bad time to suggest business people should be in politics <laughs> kind of internationally anyway <laughs> but uh um yeah and, and and then i think you know there's kind of a another strange thing too where it's like so the um the like a really huge block of voters is uh you know uh G and WT employees, it's it's the, um, the biggest block. and they are the they are the users of the same services. Yeah, um, and so which I think puts uh, the the UNW in a strange position. Uh, so they're they're a union that is kind of you know looking out for the best interests of their union members, uh, but their union members are also the largest consumer of the goods of those union members. So it's almost like you know if if. Uh, United Auto Workers, you know, um, only sold in a cars. Yeah, yeah. Whereas also the the uh, own the uh, you know G like so yeah the Osh you know the GM plant in Oshawa or something. Everybody had to buy a GM after it came out of the thing, and then so you know so it's it's a it creates some interesting dynamics where you know I almost think that the UNW is could be the op the official opposition party to the GNWT, right? So if um, there's nothing wrong with the yeah with uh, kind of getting a driver's license here like it's quite efficient system but if say if it wasn't um, you know it you know that system would be frustrating UNW uh, members um, and the people frustrating that would be also UNW members <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of you wonder if uh, yeah so I kind of think that there is an interesting situation there where where um, the UNW um is both a consumer yeah well almost I, I mean, consumer I, protection and and uh worker protection it uh well i can tell you in many of the communities it is very annoying to get a driver's <laughs> license you know if you, you live in one of the outlying communities you fly in and you hope the instructor also flied in flew in at the same time no one missed a flight and then oh, you no. have to go take the test and yeah yeah you know Jeez. <laughs> so i think the UNW you could complain like hey we should have a driver's licensing center in every community yeah you know yeah yeah well that's well that one actually isn't really as much in conflict so maybe. yeah <laughs> maybe we well, should but, yeah, i mean basically like uh you know um and I, and I think they do do a bit of uh you know they want to make sure people are paid well um and and then you know their you know positions are getting filled um but uh it could also be not just from a, a kind of worker standpoint but also because yeah like i said they're the largest largest block of consumers of the same goods uh the same services um and uh so it's, it's an interesting scenario i think or, or situation and i think it's just one of the things that makes the the nwt economy kind of peculiar <laughs> yeah one of one of many yeah um all right sam we're just over an hour here uh do you got any kind of final thoughts on how about you tell me what the next uh, economic realities piece is going to kind of do and we'll summarize on that note. Oh, okay uh well i think it will be about the bip stuff um perfect that's... i look forward to reading it because <laughs> we need to have this conversation yeah and i need to do a lot of research on those uh, yeah. on that one um 
so uh, but really uh, kind of the whole string of them uh, I'm doing a, like a year's worth for edge uh, the idea is each of them is to kind of be a part of kind of a larger one that I'm hoping to put out at the end of it that really is kind of this the trade-off between uh, economic development and the cost of living and kind of when we should be um, well in general I think attacking the cost of living will be economic development but kind of when we should be focusing on what kind of given the economic realities of how how it works up here so that's the kind of the gist of it but I got to do a lot of research before uh, it, it, it turns it might turn out that my thesis is wrong and I'll, I'll find that out when I'm doing all my <laughs> um, <laughs> research yeah and are, when you write these pieces are you writing uh, about Yellowknife like are you just in Yellowknife uh, yeah mostly yeah, yeah because uh, I, and this is that talking about any policy in the WT is just like well Yellowknife and a you know one Litzelke are just night and day you yeah know? whether bit makes sense in Yellowknife versus Litzelke is just you know a different conversation like in right. different assessment yeah. and I yeah I feel yeah. like so many of our policies just don't actually factor in you know yeah no you know that's a really good point I should I should keep that in mind uh, yeah I mean that is really my kind of shift over the last uh maybe eight ten years has been towards uh like i said originally i was thinking oh you know would i be interested in you know running for territorial politics and i thought ah you know what like most of my interests are are really yellow knife centric yeah um and and really kind of the city council and the city government i just find way more interesting because uh, it can uh, it can affect real things on the specific area that i you know i I, I concentrate on or I care about the most. So, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then when you factor in kind of the whole, the whole part, like how, how diverse the NWT is. Yeah. That's a tough, it is a tough job, man. I should be nicer on the GNWT. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, all right, Sam, I appreciate all of your articles. I appreciate your thinking about these and the nuances uh, right. and not oversimplifying what is, you know, very, unique and interesting policy work that we do in the north and uh anytime you want to send me any thoughts on anything i greatly appreciate it okay well thank you very much for having me and, and good luck with uh, your election take care